The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. We are going to be back this morning in our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, We are looking at what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to be. And this is part of our larger series as we're going through the book of Matthew. So we're going to dive right in this morning. So if you would, please open with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 to 18. And just to give you a little overview, this passage touches on several subjects. Giving, prayer, fasting, and sets all of these topics in the context of pursuing righteousness for the right reasons. Because we're going to have opportunities further in the book of Matthew to discuss some of these topics. Next week, actually, Jeff is going to preach for us on giving and being people of a generous spirit. Fasting, we will encounter later in Matthew. This morning, we're going to focus primarily on prayer because in this section of Scripture, we get one of the most famous chunks of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer, obviously, as Many of you were able to recite it from memory this morning. So we want to take time to consider what does the Lord show us about prayer through the Lord's Prayer. So, as is fitting, let me pray for us before we read God's Word. Lord, we do just ask that you be with us this morning. I ask that you be with the reading and the preaching of your Word. May its truth come through to us. May it it be alive in our hearts Father, we ask that you convict us, that you change us and transform us. And Lord, above all, I just pray that you would make us people who delight to be with you and who are aware of your presence with us. So be with us now. I'm I'm aware of my need for you this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 6. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, chapter 6 starts out, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward in heaven. And in this section, there's a thematic thread through this section. It ends in verse 18, And your Father who is in secret will reward you. As we've discussed, the Sermon on the Mount is aiming at our hearts. It's displaying for us what kingdom people are supposed to look like, loving towards one another, gracious and peaceful. We're we're to be people of our word. We forgive rather than retaliate. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. And all of these things are not admission passes for us to heaven, but they're outworkings of the new life that we have been given through Jesus Christ. Having delved into then largely how we relate to one another, the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, Christ now addresses religious and external practices, the giving of alms, prayer, and fasting. And for these as well, the Lord reminds that He's not concerned about rule followers, but about those who honor Him in, his, in their hearts. What the Lord is coming against here is the practice of hypocrites, many of The religious leaders unfortunately fell into this camp, observing religious practices for the sake of gaining earthly praise. We see giving to the poor with with trumpet blasts for attention. We see prayer publicly for the sake of recognition and fasting in such a way that others could not miss that you haven't been eating. But in response to such things, the Lord says, when you give, do it in secret, In fact, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go hide deep in a closet. When you fast, do everything you can to look refreshed and healthy so that no one might know. Now, as with much of the teaching we have already encountered, the Lord's not saying people can never know that you pray or people can never know that you give. We commended Silas this morning for reading the scriptures. I don't think it was wrong to do that. In fact, it would be impossible for your right hand not to know what the left is doing. They're both a part of you. He's not saying you can't pray publicly. The Lord did this himself many times. We do this together in church. There's there's nothing wrong with that. And it's impossible a lot of times to ensure that nobody knows you're fasting because if you have friends or family that you eat with, likely they'll be asking why you're not partaking of the food. So if we read this and we take these simply as rules, don't do this, but do this, don't do this, but do this, we're going to miss the point and do the very thing that the Lord is trying to speak against. The problem with the public nature of these activities is not that they're known, but that the doer wants them to be known. 
and wants them to be known not for God's glory, but for their own personal glory. They want praise from men. They want accolades of the world. They want to be known as religious and godly people, not to spur others on, but simply to draw attention to themselves. To all of this, the Lord says, do not do such things. For if you do, you will surely receive your reward, a reward on this earth, the praise of men, a reward that's fleeting, that's hollow. It's not going to satisfy. Seek the reward that only God gives, the reward that comes from pursuing Him, making His name known, seeing His kingdom come, the reward that is eternal, untarnished, and completely satisfying. When we seek the praise of men, we will be on a never-ending roller coaster ride of peace. Up and down, satisfied, dissatisfied, satisfied, dissatisfied. Happy when others praise us, distraught or angry when they don't. We'll be angry at the success of others. We'll loathe the piety of our peers. But when we seek God's greater reward, when we pursue Him for Him, we can have peace when the world overlooks our faithfulness. We can rejoice and give praise to God when others acknowledge our good works and say, the Lord has done this work. We can give credit to Him. We can rejoice with others when they rejoice. We can marvel and thank our God in heaven when we see those around us growing in faith. Boils down to this, giving, praying, fasting, any other pursuit of godly behavior for the sake of self-righteous affirmation is worthless. And it's not what the Lord is after. It's not to say we're never going to have mixed motivations. We are. We are sinful people, so we shouldn't give up pursuing righteousness because at times we want that accolade and we want to be seen, but we repent. We examine our hearts. We ask the Lord that we might pursue Him in purity. So let's let these verses be a reminder to us as we talk next week about giving, as we talk about fasting when that comes up in this morning, as we talk about prayer. Let's remember we do these things not to be seen by others, not to earn and achieve praise, but we do these things because the Lord has good for us in them and the Lord desires to work in them and meet us through them. This is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we give because the Lord is good. And he invites us to do this. So, in the midst of this section then about not practicing our righteousness before others, we get this aside on the topic of prayer specifically. And so again, this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Prayer is one of the most wonderful gifts that the Lord has given to us. However, it's also one of the most misunderstood underutilized and underappreciated aspect of our Christian lives. I felt convicted this week at how little I understand what the Lord intends for me through prayer. How little I believe the Lord hears and responds in prayer. So I want us to consider this together this morning that we might be people of prayer. So let's start then by defining prayer. What are we talking about? The world has many definitions for prayer. The world says prayer can be an expression of thankfulness to the cosmos. Prayer can be positive thinking. Prayer can be self-meditation and reflection. Prayer can be made to any number of deities. 
The Lord reveals to us here, prayer is not whatever we make of it. Prayer is not self-actualization. Prayer is not just meditation and reflection. Prayer is not to be made towards whoever or whatever we want. No, prayer is and can only be personal, active, and intentional communication between us and the living God of the universe. It's personal, active, and intentional communication between us and the living God of the universe. Anything outside of that is not prayer. Now, that definition, while helpful, is still extremely broad. We can have many questions around prayer. How often should I pray? What should I say? What can I ask for? What should I expect in prayer? And we'll talk about some of these things as we move through the Lord's Prayer this morning. We, we won't answer all the questions there are about prayer. But before walking through the Lord's Prayer itself, let's do as our passage does and lay out some fundamentals of prayer first. First, we see prayer is expected in the life of a believer. In verse 5, we read, and when you pray, just as with giving and with fasting, there is an assumption of prayer. Jesus doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. We see all throughout the scriptures God's people praying. As we'll discuss, this can take many forms. Prayers don't have to be some set specific way that they look, but at its most basic, God's people are seen continually expressing their hearts, expressing their needs, expressing their praise to God. We see in the book of Acts that the believers devoted themselves to prayer together. We're told that we are to pray without ceasing. We're told not to be anxious, but to bring everything in prayer before the Lord. Prayer is vital in the life of a believer. Prayer is how we commune with God. It's the way that we praise Him. It's in prayer that we express our dependence upon Him. It's in prayer that we repent before Him. It's in prayer that we bring our requests to Him. And it's in response to prayer that God moves on our behalf. One of the things that most struck me this week as I was meditating freshly on prayer is what God intends to accomplish God intends to work in response to the prayers of his people. We must be people who pray. We see next that prayer is not a means of earning favor. Verses 5 to 6 reminds us that prayer is not a means of religious affirmation. Prayer is not a tool for getting the favor of other people. And when we reflect on this further... Though God is the intended audience of our prayers, we likewise should not pray to impress Him. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, God does not love us more or less or save us more or less because we pray. The Lord knows our hearts, so we aren't to ever treat prayer or any other religious practice as a favor maker or a checklist item just to check off for our day of being right before God. God wants you to pray, but not for the sake of praying, but for the sake of communing with him. God wants to hear from you, not so you can prove to him or to others how godly you are, but because he delights to be with his children. 
And the final fundamental that we see here in this passage before we get to the Lord's Prayer is that prayer is not a means of manipulating God. Prayer is not a magic spell that we can cast with the right words or a talisman that will work if we rub it enough times, it'll do what we need it to do. This is what's being addressed here in verses 7 through 8. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The Gentiles treated their gods like vending machines. If only I use the right name. If only I pray to the right God for this need. If only I say the right things. If only I repeat this prayer the correct number of times. Then the gods will listen. And if my petition was not granted, well, then it's back to the drawing board to figure out what I said wrong or or what God I forgot to list in my request. Jesus says this is not how we are supposed to approach prayer. God is not a vending machine. Prayer is not our tool for getting God to do exactly what we want Him to do. And God does not need us to say things a certain way to be able to hear us. When we pray, we're coming before a living and active being. Our omnipotent, omniscient, that's all-powerful, all-knowing God There are principles that we should apply in our prayers. We'll discuss this as we continue. That's why Jesus lays out the Lord's Prayer to us. But they aren't the secret passageway to being heard by God. We're told He knows what we need before we even ask. So if you're someone who feels like, I just never know what to say. I don't know how to pray. Other people have such beautiful prayers. God's not expecting something specific from you. He wants to hear your heart. So that said... If prayer is simply communication with God, it doesn't have to be done in some specific place or done in some specific way, why then does Jesus say, pray then like this? Well, while prayer doesn't have to fit some specific formula, there are base realities of what prayer is. We already said that, it's communication with God who it's to, and the types of things that we should regularly be pursuing in prayer that the Lord intends for us to know. While God is not a vending machine and prayers are not magic spells, the more we understand about God, what He intends for us in our prayers, the more we know His heart, the more we're going to see fruit born from our time in prayer with the Lord. Things can hinder our prayer life, we're told in the Scriptures. If we are walking in sin and our heart is far from the Lord, we cannot expect much out of our time of fellowship and prayer before the Lord. Our lack of understanding can cause us to miss out on blessings from the Lord. And if we don't understand the Lord's heart, we can fail to honor Him fully as we ought. So, let's dive into the Lord's Prayer together. Look, and we'll look at the patterns of prayer that we see laid out for us. And and these patterns really help us to understand, I think, a general picture of what fellowship and communion with God through prayer is meant to encompass. 
in a broad way. That doesn't mean every time you sit down to pray, you're going to pray all of these things or think consciously about all of these things. But as we consider our fellowship with the Lord, as we consider our prayer before the Lord, these should all be categories that make up our prayer lives, that make up our fellowship with Him. So he begins, Our Father in heaven. Two things stand out from this line for us. One, prayer is to be directed to one person and one person alone, God. There's no other being in all of existence that can or should answer our prayers. If there's honor that's due, it's due to God. If there's a request to be made, it's to be made to God. No false deity, no angelic being, no passed on saint is supposed to be the recipient of our prayers. It's God and God alone who can accomplish his will. That said, there can be a question that arises. Can I pray to Jesus? Can I pray to the Holy Spirit? While I believe the answer is yes, they are God, you can address them in your prayers, that wouldn't be sin. The pattern we do see in Scripture, though, is our Heavenly Father. It seems that when we bring our requests before God, most specifically, we bring them to God the Father through the ability and the entrance we have through God the Son in the powering of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. So, Not wrong to address Jesus, not wrong to address the Holy Spirit, but it does seem like we bring our requests most specifically to God the Father and address them to God the Father. We follow the pattern of the Scriptures. So prayer is to God, the God of the Bible. And also we see in this, our Father in heaven, prayer is an intimate thing. It's an intimate thing way that we call upon our God, our Father in heaven. Throughout the Old Testament, we get depictions of God as Father, as as Israel being God's son and the Israelites being God's children. But with the arrival of Christ Jesus and the salvation that he has won for us on the cross, there's even this new level of intimacy and closeness with God that we have. When Christ calls God his Father, which he often does in the Gospels, he's expressing to the dismay of the religious leaders around him a very close, intimate connection with God. So when Christ then says, our Father, he's roping us into that intimacy. God is not merely a king to be approached. He is that. He's not just a deity to be revered, he is that, but he is a father, a loving father who gladly and expectantly welcomes the prayers of his children. We don't call God father because that's a helpful metaphor because we have fathers on earth. We have fathers on earth to reflect God who is father. The reality is God always is and always has been Father, and we can think about him that way. I think so often when we consider God, we think of him as cold, aloof, distant. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're told elsewhere in the scriptures, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you? 
of the Holy Spirit if you ask of Him. When we approach God through prayer, if we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we approach a loving Heavenly Father, a Father who longs to hear from us, who delights to care for us, and who knows us intimately well. This is such a gift for us. And we need to think about God in this way. In, in the Old Testament, believers, they could certainly pray, but for the general congregation of Israel, they did not experience the kind of close, intimate connection with God that the prophets or the judges or the kings did. All their prayers were directed towards the temple, for that's where God dwelled and that's where the priests made sacrifices and intercessions on behalf of sinful Israel. Well, now again with the coming of Jesus Christ, we are told that Christ is the temple and it's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who intercede on our behalf before God. And because the Spirit is God and the Son is God and the Father is God, we always have direct access to God. That is amazing. This intimate Father of ours has made a way for us to be with Him whenever, wherever, and with confidence. We read in the book of Hebrews, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we, we can come to God our Father with confidence. And we do this because Jesus Christ has made a way. We don't need to come shriveling or cowering or wondering if he's going to kick us out. We come with confidence because we stand upon the blood of Jesus Christ. However, lest that intimacy cause us to forget the magnitude of who it is that we are approaching in prayer, we read next, hallowed be your name. When we come before God, we come before the one through whom, for whom, and by whom all things exist. We come before the great I am. We come before the one in whom all goodness exists and who is the very base of existence. God exceeds all else. God's goodness is unparalleled and the joy we experience in the Lord is unmatched in any of his created things. Due to this, when we approach God in prayer, whether we always vocalize it or not, our deepest desire needs to be that God's name would be praised and that his glory would be displayed on this earth and in our hearts. When we come before him, yes, it's intimate. Yes, Christ calls us friend, but we need to realize we stand before the living God of the universe, which just magnifies the wonder that he should call us his children and that he should treat us as father. Hallowed, honored, revered. We're told the greatest command is that we would love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. This is for our good because God is the greatest thing that exists. His greatest desire is that we would enjoy him above anything else. Because anything else will not satisfy the way that he does. When we approach the Lord in prayer, we have the opportunity to remember who he is, to proclaim his majesty, and ask that we and the world around us would honor him as we should. And when we think this way, 
then our prayers will be directed towards those things that God is inclined to answer. We shouldn't be surprised if we don't see much effectiveness in our prayers if we're praying for things that are out of step with the glorious will of the God of the universe. Which is why the Lord says next, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, as we've discussed in Matthew, is his rule. It's his reign. So by asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on the earth, Christ is saying we should desire above all things that God's kingdom would break forth on this earth. We long, as we said, to see God's name praised among the nations. We long to see people walking in the purity and righteousness of his character. And we desire to see people saved into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the will of our God in heaven. When we read Paul speak to evangelism in the book of Romans, He says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The more I've studied prayer, the more I'm convinced the same could be said of prayer. How could the kingdom come if no one has prayed? God could save people without us. God could do all that he desires on this earth without us. But God has set it up that he would do so through us. And when it comes to prayer, When do we see revivals break out in response to God's people praying? When did the Lord deliver Israel from Egypt after he heard their cries? We must pray, thy kingdom come. If we want to see the Lord move on this earth, we have to be people who pray for it. God can do it without us. He does do it without us, but he delights to do it through us and through our prayers. What a joy it is to take part in that. How exciting it is to see prayers answered, to see the Lord move. The Lord moves in response to our prayers. It's not a formality, but it's a way that the Lord has instituted things that they should come to pass. That should give us a lot of motivation to pray. Far from the Lord saying, I know what's on your heart before you pray it, being a deterrent for us, it should motivate us. The Lord is saying, I know Just let me know and I'm here. I'm ready to move and to respond. The Lord wants to respond to our prayers. So we know the Lord knows. We know the Lord hears. All we have to do is ask. Praying for God's kingdom also serves as an anchor for us to pray for the more temporal items. Next bit, the Lord says, Give us this day our daily bread. While praying for the expansion of the kingdom, praying for growth in godliness, praying for spiritual strength and the welfare of others should dominate our prayers, the Lord also calls us to bring to him all manner of need. And it's in and through prayer that we recognize it's God who must provide for all of our needs. You only have breath in your lungs because God has given it to you. You only have a job if you have one because the Lord has provided it. You only have food to eat because God has allowed it to be so. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we acknowledge before God that we need him. And we ask that he continue to meet and provide for our needs, big and small. When needs arise or wants or desires come, we bring them to him. 
always seeking his will, but not afraid to let him know what's on our hearts. The writer of James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So often we fail to remember that the Lord is right here, eager and willing to provide. That doesn't mean he's always going to say yes to our requests. James goes on to say, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When prayers go unanswered, it's never that the Lord has not heard or that the Lord has forgotten or that the Lord does not care about us. He knows our needs. He loves us, but he also knows what's best. At times, going without will help us in the long run, and the Lord knows that. At times, he has other plans. At times, he says no because he sees our hearts. But this should not be a deterrent from us praying. Example, we could seek the Lord for a job change to better provide for our families, to help position us better for ministry, to help us have more that we could give more. But we could also seek a job change for status, to feel successful, to earn money for money's sake. And in such cases, the Lord could do us very kindly by denying such a request. So we ask and we trust trying to do so with hearts that are in tune with His, knowing ultimately that the Lord is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. And the Lord does love us, and the Lord will provide for us. I was reflecting on this and remembering a time when the Lord very specifically provided for Happy and I. I remember when Happy and I were first married, we were trying to find a place to live, I was praying a lot about it, and we found this condo for rent, and we loved it, but it was a little bit out of our price range. What I loved most about the condo was its location, its great parking, it had a large basement, and we had on our hearts to be able to host, to be able to entertain, to be able to care for people, so we wanted a space that would do that, and I felt this space was perfect for all of that, for the reasons listed. So I laid that out before the Lord, but I told him, look, it's, it's above what we can pay, so Lord, if... If this would be something that you think we should do, if this would be a blessing to us and others, I ask that you make it possible for, and then there was a stated amount. Well, the next morning, completely unprompted and without request, the landlord emailed me, and he said, if money's an issue, you could rent the place for the stated amount. <laughs> I, was, I was flabbergasted, the kindness of the Lord. God didn't have to do that for us. But he did in his kindness, and we shouldn't be afraid to ask those things. And that condo went on to serve us and and many others in, in so many marvelous ways. And in response to things like this, all we can do is thank him. The Lord provides for us in ways like this daily. We don't always know it, we don't always see it, but he is constantly providing for us. Let's be people who realize it. This is what we do when we pray before a meal. I think praying before meals can become such a formality. We're thanking the Lord for what he's provided. We're remembering. It's a time to remember you have provided this food. We thank the Lord that we woke up today. We thank God for the parking spot we found. My mother-in-law does this wonderfully well. She prays over parking spots and anything like that, and I love it. We thank God for the shoes we put on our feet. When we have a good encounter with a friend, we praise him. We do this intentionally, specifically, on the spot. You could just say, Lord, thank you. 
Or maybe later in the day you reflect on what the Lord has done and, and you pray and you thank him for the things that he has done throughout your day. We need to be a people who are thankful for the Lord who provides. People who know that all comes from his hand and children who aren't afraid to ask from their father. Knowing that whether the answer is yes or it is no, he is good and he delights to have us bring our requests before him. The Lord then goes on, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This debt being spoken of here is sin. We're going to have much opportunity in the chapters ahead to dive into this. We'll hit one of my favorite parables. I've talked about it before, the unforgiving servant. We're going to talk a lot about the debt that we have been released from and what that should do to us. But to, to quickly drive this home, when we come before God, forgiveness is the foundation of our approach. It's only because our sins have been forgiven by Christ Jesus that we can approach God in confidence. And in prayer, we have to acknowledge this. Confession of sin, thanking God for the forgiveness we've received. This should be a regular part of our fellowship with God. And we, in an ongoing way, continue to bring our sins and our failures before him, seeking his grace, thanking him for that forgiveness. And when we do this, take time to acknowledge our need before him in this way, we're motivated and empowered to extend the grace we've received to others. We're living in the gospel when we remember these things. The pursuit of forgiveness for ourselves and having a forgiving spirit towards others is so significant that in verses 15 to 15, uh, 14 to 15, God says, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. God's not saying salvation only occurs if we forgive other people, but he's saying if we're unforgiving, we cannot expect that we have been forgiven by God. For if indeed we have received the forgiveness from God, we too would be people who forgive. So if we find we're unwilling to forgive, unable to forgive, we need to evaluate our hearts. Do we really understand the forgiveness that we have received in Christ Jesus? That's the heart of the gospel. And when we pray, when we commune with God, we repent. We ask forgiveness. We're inviting joy for ourselves through the rehearsal of the gospel. We build strength to be people who walk in the ways of Christ himself. And that brings us to our last line of this glorious prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is not so much a prayer that we would never experience temptation, we live in a broken, fallen world. We know temptations will come, and unavoidably so. No, what Jesus is saying here is akin to what he prays in John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're to pray that the Lord keeps us from sin. I want to argue that this being placed last in the list has nothing to do with importance. In fact, I would say the forgiveness and deliverance from sin is much more important than our daily physical bread. We cannot pursue the Lord as we should. We cannot turn from evil and walk in the light as we are called to. We will not understand God and His Word if we are not desperately and consistently calling out to the Lord in prayer for strength and perseverance. I guarantee you that the godliest people you know regularly seek the Lord for his help to walk in his ways. We cannot do it if we are not praying. So often our prayers are for the circumstances of life, the material realities that surround those things. And again, that's not bad. We need to pray for our daily bread. 
But I do believe our prayers are often out of balance. We should pray more fervently for spiritual strength, for purity, for the ability to walk in the midst of this twisted world than we pray for a car or we pray for our health or any other manner of request like that. We don't often hear prayer requests shared for strength to overcome temptation or to love God more. Yet those are the things that we know for certain are desires of His heart and His will for us. We should be praying for them. And though we have the Holy Spirit within us, though we have direct access to the Son and the Father, though Christ has said that sin and evil no longer have a hold on us, we so often fail to utilize the powerful weapon of prayer in the battle for righteousness. A very vivid example of this is found the night of the Lord's betrayal. We see the night before Jesus was crucified, him praying fervently at length for spiritual strength and protection in the face of the temptation and trial to come. His disciples, though they were called to pray with him, fell asleep. And what do we then see? They fall. They deny him. They run away in fear. The Lord told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Yet they still slept. Again, the temptation would come. Christ would be arrested. That wasn't going to change. What he meant was, pray you wouldn't give yourselves over to that temptation. You need the strength of the Father through prayer. If Jesus, who is the example of the perfect human being, who was perfect himself, one with God the Father, if he consistently called out to God the Father for spiritual strength and protection, how much more should we Prayer is our greatest weapon in the face of spiritual attack. If you feel stuck in a sin, if you feel stuck in a situation, I ask, are you praying? Turn to the Lord and pray. We may labor long in our prayers, but you will not see change or victory without the Lord's intervention. Call upon Him in prayer. Prayer is a great gift to us. It's absurd that we can call out to the God of the universe at any time and any place and expect that he should condescend to meet with us, yet he does. And this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, gives us great help in knowing how to faithfully come before him. It reminds us that when we pray, we pray to a gracious and loving Father. It reminds us that above all things, we should seek His glory and the praise of His name. It reminds us that God cares about our needs and He's our provider. It reminds us that we've been forgiven, that we need forgiveness, and that we should forgive others. And it reminds us that we need spiritual strength to fight the battle for holiness and godliness on this earth. If we followed this pattern in our prayers, we would be a stronger people. We would experience so much grace. And I know that many of you are prayer warriors, and I love your example. And if you're looking for ways to pray with others, we have a women's prayer group that meets on, on Friday afternoons. You can find that on the website. We have a men's prayer group that tries to meet on Thursdays via Zoom. Ladies, you put us to shame in that way. Thank you for your example of faithfulness in prayer. And while this prayer is modeled for God's children... If you're here and you've never reached out to the Lord in prayer, I encourage you to do so. You can share in this intimate relationship 
with the God of the universe simply by asking for his forgiveness, acknowledging your need for his grace and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. Apart from Jesus, we could have no expectation that God would welcome us into his presence. Our sin creates a wedge between us and our God, but Christ bridges that gap, restores that relationship, and he has given us access to our gracious, benevolent king, our loving heavenly father. Church, let's be a people who long to commune with their heavenly father and who believe that when we pray, he hears us. Let's pray together now. Father, we do come before you. We ask that we would be people who trust you, that we would be people who pour our hearts out before you, that we would be people who say, whether you give or you take away, blessed be your name, that we would be people who know that you know what's best, but you do delight to hear from us, people who know that you delight to bless us in unexpected and undeserved ways, that we would be people who know you long for your kingdom to break forth on this earth, and you do so often through the prayers of your people. Help us to be a people who pray fervently for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on this earth. Lord, let us be aware that we can do nothing apart from you. We can do nothing good apart from you. Let us call upon you in dependence for our strength in time of need. Father, we thank you for your daily provision. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we have breath in our lungs, a warm room to meet in, and your word. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, who you gave us as your greatest gift. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.